Hi, good morning, and welcome back to Coworking with Iris. This is a show where we talk about coworking and community. This is episode 23, and I'll be talking today with Ian Stock of Entrepreneur. I've known Ian for going on eight years now, and we were both members of a coworking space, um, the first coworking space that I ever joined uh, back in 2009, and um, learned a lot from Ian over the years. Uh, Ian eventually came on to help the coworking space that I was working at um, revise our terms of use and, to be more friendly and more community oriented. Um, he then joined uh, the team as the corporate counsel. So he advised on the legal affairs of the company that I worked for for about three years, I believe. He also served as the secretary of the board for that company. So Ian has a fair amount of experience um, being embedded in a co-working company that he was also a member of. He also has that experience as a member. He's, he's still a member at that company, although no longer working with them. And since then, Ian has been doing work with other co-working spaces. And his background is in uh, corporate law. I'll let him talk about that a little bit. I wanted to bring Ian on the show today because I think that legal is something that often gets sort of pushed aside for co-working spaces. You know, we're all about the people and we think about furniture, we think about coffee, we think about internet, we think about community. Um, but the legal documents that we operate our businesses off of, they really set the foundation for the, uh, the health of our business in the long run. And they also set the foundation for the relationships that we have with our members. And I love Ian's approach because he is, um, he actually doesn't litigate because he doesn't like argument for the sake of argument, which I just think <laughs> is wonderful. So I'm gonna go ahead and let Ian speak for himself and hopefully we'll be giving you some good meeting discussion around the legal aspects of co-working today. Good morning, Ian, welcome. Good morning, Iris. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you for being with us. And Ian, let's start out with you telling us about what your co-working story is. Well, co-working for me has been a great personal discovery. I mean, yeah, we're talking about the legal aspects, but I either worked in a big law firm or for a major corporation in, in its offices or at home. And, and you know, all of them had unsatisfactory components, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially, you try working for a big law firm, let me tell you. But, uh, so co-working for me was a discovery of, of an alternative that worked, that was pleasant, and, and that still enabled me to get good work done. I mean, it, it's just been a great, I'm, I'm hooked. You know, I, I joined Next Space. I'm sorry, am I not supposed to mention? But That's I joined okay. it. You can Next Space. <laughs> in October 2008, which is the month they formally opened, and I, and I refuse to leave. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so that's my co-working story. Well, I love it. And I love that you talk about the personal benefits and not just the business benefits. And I, you know, I know that you really get co-working, um, as it were. And so that's why I really wanted to talk with you today. So why don't you uh, talk to us like you would if you were talking about law? And um, 
Let us know, what's the first step that you recommend someone take when creating a legal partnership with the intention of developing a co-working space? So I, I got to tell you, the first step is I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go partnership. Right? So I tend to try to do things simply. Mm -hmm. I try to try to do things simply because that reduces the cost. So if someone asks me, you know, I want to do a co-working space, what should I be? Should I be an LLC? Should I be a corporation? Should I be a partnership? I don't even think about it. And I should, I'm sorry. But I tell them, no, be a corporation. Corporations have a couple of attributes which anyone starting a business is, is, should find useful. One, it's very easy to issue options in a corporation. As you know, NextSpace has, has, was very prompt in, in creating an option plan for its uh, people. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, was, I appreciated that. I think that's a good way to go. Uh, and and you, can't, you can do them in an LLC format or you can do them in a partnership. But the, the, it's very difficult. You're trying to make a different entity look and act like a corporation. Mm -hmm. And that means it costs more money from your lawyers. And I'm always trying to help people spend less money with their lawyers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Honestly, you got to believe that. <laughs> I you do know appreciate it, that about you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, though, if what if what if I was looking to form a an, some type of entity? there was um, member ownership or there was a little bit of a different business format. Would you always recommend a corporation in that type yeah. of, a, of a situation? I would. I would because the documents are there. We do that. I mean, for instance, any startup that has two or more founders should uh, – let me just give a little explanation. When, when there's more mm -hmm. than, than one founder in a startup, Everyone at the beginning is all psyched and happy and excited. They're working together. They have complementary skills. It all makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And so everyone thinks, okay, well, we're even equal participants. We'll give each other one-third of the ownership in this entity, right? And then one of them in six months finds a different project, gets bored, falls in love, has to leave town, whatever it is. And, and they leave, leaving with all their shares unless you do what's called a restricted stock purchase agreement. And that is an agreement that you sign with the company when you first start out that says that if you leave after six months, you lose most of your shares. And that makes sense for you because you've only worked for six months worth of shares and for the company because they then have the other years of shares that you would have worked for to give to somebody else to do your job. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... And that's a corporate thing. That if if you've got member uh, ownership of the entity, you can do that through share ownership too, with the same kind of principles. You only get shares for the length of time that you're there. Whereas if you're trying to figure out what does that ownership interest mean in three years, if you left after one, and in the, and then the company is sold after three, what does that ownership interest mean? You're lost. Whereas if you've got one year's worth of shares. For your one year's worth of membership, you hold on to them, and if the company is sold, they sell at the same price everybody else is selling. But that so was kind I, of a rushed explanation. Do you get it? <laughs> That's okay. I know there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of nuance in there. So if That's I'm right. a co-working operator, that is, yeah. um, you know, let's say I have um, my plan is to run a co-working space. My plan is to open a co-working space and run it. 
Um, right. I'm also up in a partnership with a design firm, for instance, because this is kind of common, or a marketing right. firm. And we are going to operate out of the co-working space. Um, and in some ways, the co-working space is solving a problem for the marketing company because it's providing real estate and it's providing the, you know, all the benefits of co-working with other people, right? Right. Um, and I don't ever really plan to scale. Uh, my goal is not to open multiple spaces. It's to have this one space where I work. I work with people that I enjoy working with. Um, and, you know, I don't intend to sell my space. In that instance, would you still recommend the corporation? Not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. Okay. I mean, then you, you can do it. LLC is the, is the easy alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, you could even do a partnership. They're a little more difficult. I, okay. No, I, I, I'm sort of thinking of people. I'm remembering a blockbuster. Remember how blockbuster was built? Blockbuster mm -hmm. was built out of a whole bunch of mom and pop video stores. Right. And I think that there's still a market out there for comparable purchases of mom and pop co-working spaces uh -huh. by major players. Right. So I'm always, I guess I'm always thinking of that. I always think corporations, but obviously <laughs> it, that's, that's, it's not written in stone. <laughs> and yet you're a corporate refugee <laughs> working out of yes. a co-working space. <laughs> oh, the irony. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's move on a little bit. How can I set up my co-working business agreements to foster collaboration amongst my members? So, for instance, you know, I have my terms of service or my terms and conditions that I need, um, you know, my members to sign, which are sort of uh, there. It's a legally binding document, and it's what protects me as a business. Uh, I also need to have my business be very friendly to the members who are working out of it and to enhance their relationships with each other. So in some ways, traditional terms of service um, can be a little bit um, off-putting to a community. For instance, the non-disparagement clause that often, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. that's often part of a terms of service agreement. So how would you uh, suggest setting up these business agreements to foster collaboration among members? Well, this I've done a couple of times. Uh, typically, when one starts with uh, a more corporate, meaning a, a less community, less cooperative terms of service, although some of the basic liability limitation, risk limitation clauses stay, you don't, in, in business, there's a tendency to make everything, you know, belt and suspenders, doubly protective, and, and quite hostile, actually, to the mm -hmm. people who sign them. Mm -hmm. Now, in a co-working space, you don't need that. Mm -hmm. You do not need that. Yeah, and, and, it, and, it, and it's antithetical to the, the community goal that you're trying to establish. You don't want people coming in and sort of read this stuff and clenching mm -hmm. in reaction to it. So I, I went gone through and made them a lot softer. Mm-hmm. There's still the basic protection there, the liability limitation. You know, if you have an accident in, in the space that 
uh, if a member has an accident that's the member's fault, you shouldn't be liable for it as a space. So you have to put that kind of stuff in there. But the, the, the other clauses need to, to be less sort of hostile, less you and us, mm -hmm. you know, you versus us kind of thing. And that we did, I think we've done fairly well. Don't you agree? I mean, it, yeah. so one, another example of it, and it's very important, uh, and that is we include uh, an NDA in the terms of service. Now, what's that? What's going on there? It's not an NDA that protects the, co the, the, the co-working site's information. It does protect that, but it's not limited to that. Mm -hmm. The idea of it is that if members communicate about, about business projects, about consulting arrangements that they're setting up, if they're telling people their, their own secrets, trade secrets, they want the people they're telling to respect that and not to go and funnel them out of the space or funnel them in, in somewhere else. And so what the NDA does is that each member agrees to respect the confidentiality of other members' disclosure about their business. And that is the fosters the kind of dialogue within the space that you need for people to work together properly. Yeah. It, right? I mean, yeah. and, that, and that works, and it works. Now, I'm glad you brought up... Spaces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the NDA um, today. And the reason that I'm glad you brought it up is because I'm curious how that NDA holds up if it's really just, you know, a small amount of text or, you know, a couple <laughs> paragraphs of, of all caps letters or something <laughs> in a legal document. Um, how does that hold up a traditional NDA, which is generally like four pages long or something like that, three, three to four pages long? Um, are they the same or is it important to really pay attention to how that the NDA language within the terms of service is constructed? Well, I think you have to pay attention, but you can get most of the key NDA provisions in one section of the terms of use. Then in order to meet for it to hold up, you have to be careful of the pr procedure for signing the terms of use. You need to get some sort of physical action on the part of each member who comes in that's equivalent to a signature. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not fond of, of click-throughs for the initial joining up by a member to the space. Uh -huh. I, think, I'm, I'm not, I think it might work, but if you want to be more sure, especially with regard to the NDA, which I think is very important, then you want to get some sort of physical signature. It doesn't have to be on a paper, you know, but, but something. Right. So using something like DocuSign to really get, Which, to really yes. cap capture that signature and, and really make that a binding agreement rather and, and make than... It, and make it clearer to the person, the, the member, that it, they're not just signing a, a, an end user license agreement for Windows or, 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 or Mac or whatever. Right. This, is, this, this, is a, this is a contract. This is a, a, a personal contract. The, the space isn't signing thousands of them, maybe hundreds if they're lucky. Mm -hmm. So, so it, I think it's worth taking that extra effort. But then the second part of the answer to your NDA question is that when, if two members or do start doing business together, then they should probably get a more complete NDA mm -hmm. for that business, a sort mm -hmm. of specific, more specific document, right? Because right. 
the the one in the in the terms of use is is forcibly a kind of generic sort of touches all bases but doesn't really you know go very deep kind of nda you're right, right about right, that right of course okay. yeah and of course that that <clears throat> you know for the majority of co-working spaces i think they would leave that up to the members they're not in the business of brokering yes, relationships that's right. that's in the right. same that's way right. that say an agency might be right that's right yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the terms of use. Um, okay. How, um, how you would recommend handling a request to change the terms of use or the terms of agreement. And mm. I'll give a specific instance. Um, there were several times in my tenure at NextSpace, where you are today, um, that I had corporations um, who had members work uh, come to work out of next space. They 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 bought a membership or an office membership for their team members to work out of next space. And because they were corporate and because they had this big legal department, there was quite <laughs> a back and forth process. And oftentimes we were we had requests to change to change our terms of use. Um, now before we engaged with you, <laughs> we we tried to rewrite those things all by ourselves. Eventually we engaged with you and, and we didn't do that as much. Um, but we did on occasions, depending on the size of the the company um, and you know their requests, acquiesce and make changes, which was trying for the community manager. So for instance, one particular company, didn't want us doing any social media mentions of their and um, they had actually purchased a startup that had started up out of next space and um, in the agreement with the startup that they would be allowed to stay working at next space um, we had to make changes to the next space terms of use in order to um, satisfy the legal requirements of the typical leasing arrangement that this company has for their leases. Now, of course, they're not getting the culture. There's, there's a lot of disconnects there. But what they were asking specifically, it, it came down to social media mentions, which was really interesting. So in the typical terms of use for NextSpace, you might recall that NextSpace reserves the right to mention um, or show photographs of members um, and talk about what members are doing in the space through the social media and marketing channels, unless members um, specifically say that they don't want their name or their uh, photos mentioned. Now, uh, the provision in this case was, until this company is no longer here, we require a, a request to our marketing and PR department every time you want to mention us on social media, which you can imagine was trying for a co-working space because if community managers turn over regularly or you know move on to different positions regularly it's hard to keep track of that and you can get yourself into some legal trouble because of that so i'm curious how you would recommend handling um, these sort of one-off requests to make a different terms of use for different members that's, a, that's an interesting example you gave um, it, it seems from what you said that you didn't really need a, a change in the terms of use for that. In other words, what, what they were saying, we're the member who's telling you we don't want you to, to use our likeness and, and logo and, and name in social media. Uh, you know, your terms of use provides we can do that. We want to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And then I think you have to be able to coordinate among your community builders and other people working with you that that gets respected for as long as is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I think are the more, so the, 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 I'm, I was very unreceptive to request for changes in the terms of conditions made by, you know, big corporations. Mm-hmm. What I was receptive to is when a member or prospective member identified an issue that we hadn't identified. You don't yeah. get them all up front. Yeah. Right. And, and, we, and when somebody gets that and I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, we should provide for that. But then we provide for it for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what I prefer to do. I prefer to sort of have the principle. You don't want to give side deal. This is a community. It's right. supposed to be sort of, you know, everyone's supposed to be treated the same, I think. That was right. in, always in my head. And, and so you don't want to do side deals. But if they address something that makes sense for everybody, then you modify the, the terms of use. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could just add about modification, you, you have to provide in the initial terms that it's fairly easy to modify on the part of the co-working space simply by notifying members through the normal channels of member communication. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you just send a note. Notice the terms of use are hereby modified. You know, rather than X, we now have Y. Thank you. That's it. Okay, then you know, if anybody ever reacts to that, you can handle it if it happens. I've never seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally okay, speaking, so- if you notify the members that the terms of conditions have changed then they go and they read them or you notate what has made what has been changed for them that's right that's right you spell it out you spell it out we've added dog friendly policies or whatever yeah and they're they're happy with that (laughs) um so so you're basically saying that you think that the terms and conditions should be written in a way that allows it to be sort of as general as possible in a community setting and soft they're soft so one of the parts of the answer to your question is that it's it should be unusual that any particular person or entity wants to change things that are soft in any event that aren't too forceful Mm -hmm. and pushy Mm -hmm. and so you know if you're doing the terms of use right up front more community more soft then it's unlikely that you're going to provoke that kind of request. Right. The instance you gave is a quite a, a very unique circumstance, actually, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so in, in developing a terms of use that is soft um, and that is community friendly, um, is it possible to develop it also to be flexible? Because I think what, what is key for co-working spaces is to be able to provide, uh, you know, flexibility to the unique needs of each member or member company that joins. And I'm saying that um, with respect to what you mentioned earlier, which is this is a community, everyone should be treated equally. And that is absolutely true. Everyone should be treated equally and yet everyone's needs are are a little different. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. So, you know, allowing the terms of use to be flexibly adapted, I think is also something that co-working spaces want to look out for so that if, you know, if something arises with a particular member or member company, uh, it can be handled appropriately. Yeah. So you don't need me. You don't yeah. need me to answer these questions. <laughs> oh, we always need you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about um, the types of options or, or profit sharing um, that an employer might be able to offer to their employees. So if I'm a co-working owner, and let's use the same example that I used before where you know, I'm, I have a marketing company um, with another partner, and I decide to open a co-working space where my marketing company can work out of. I'm probably going to have at most two employees. Most likely they'll be part-time. I might eventually replace myself with a full-time salaried. Um, but what I would like to do is to be as generous. I can't really afford to pay my, my employees a lot of money. I can't afford to pay them a really high salary. But what I'd like to be, do, to be able to do is to be generous with options or profit sharing. Um, how do you, you offer these stock options to employees? And what's the difference um, between options, stock, profit sharing? And is one better from a business management solution and from a community slash um, kind of team and culture management solution? Well, the problem is the, the one that is the simplest and best from a, a team management position is profit sharing, but if that presupposes profit. Right. <laughs> so, you know, when you're first starting out, you're unlikely to make a profit right away. Mm -hmm. that, that's the bottom line. Uh, in fact, it, many co-working space companies always reinvest what profit they make in enlarging in some way or improving. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, cash, cash profits are unlikely. And, and saying that you're going to give people profit sharing when there's unlikely to be any cash to share, mm. is it can be sort of misleading. You, you have to be very careful about it, I think. That's a really good I point, always, I, I always like options. Mm -hmm. But options have their own limitations, right? So I like options because from the, from the space's point of view, you're not really giving up anything except you know a piece of your ownership if they're ever exercised right mm -hmm. from the point of view of the team member you're getting an incentive to work hard to make it work because you share in any upside right mm -hmm. however again the sharing in the upside depends on some kind of exit mm -hmm. Meaning, so if in Silicon Valley generally, everyone loves options, and people have great stories about how they made a lot of money on them. But the people who make money on options are people who were employed by or consulting with companies that went public or were sold and acquired by another right. company. Because those are the only two events that make options pay. Mm -hmm. It's important to remember that. Okay? But... I mean, everybody's in the same boat. Uh, you are giving up your own equity, and people can see that. Mm -hmm. So it's psychologically, it's a good move, I think, options. Right. So it, when I say giving up your own equity, so a typical option plan would be 20% of the, of the shares of the company, right? Mm -hmm. So the founder or founders have 80%, and the option pool has 20 So that means if you're an optionee, if you're getting granted options for working in the space or for performing design services, in your example, in the space, or legal services, whatever it is, 
you're getting something for that that you can see. Even if it never does come to fruition, mm -hmm. you've got that equity, that possibility of equity. Right. So okay. going back to our example, um, I'm an yeah. owner who, who does not plan to sell or exit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, way. I know. So talk yeah. to us then about what what it means to offer stock, to offer actual ownership, actual equity um, in the space as a, to employees, um, as opposed to just stock options, which are only exercisable, you know, in two events. Well, it's quite difficult, actually. It's not as easy as it sounds because, again, the stock has to be sold mm -hmm. in order for the employee to obtain any benefit from it, uh -huh. and and there there won't be a trading market for this stock. Trading markets are only for public companies. Right. Uh, people always say, well, Facebook traded, and it did, but it, it's very unusual. There were a lot of very rich people wanting to trade, and so they were able to create a secondary market for it. But you can't normally do that. Yeah, and I'm pretty so sure Facebook and co-working are, not, are pretty much apples and oranges. In terms of we're market. not in the same ballpark. That's right. <laughs> and so essentially the only way you can make those, that stock of value to the people you give it to is if you're prepared to buy it off them at the end of the day. And that looks, that, that's complicated and I think then it's profit sharing is easier. Right. Because if you've got the cash to buy the stock, you've got the cash to share the profits. Right. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, it, it, these things are judgment calls. There's a lot of factors to be taken into account. I'm just going over the surface, giving yep. you some of the main things. Yep. Okay? Very fascinating. Very helpful. So, Ian, um, I know that you've recently worked to put together a, um, a different sort of business model than you have traditionally worked in. Oh, thank you for raising that. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the things that I've been talking with you about is putting together packages for people who are needing to sort of buy, um, you know, their contracts that they'll be using and um, the uh, the terms of the terms and conditions, and um, even forming partnerships, you know, partnership entities. And so these are packages that you offer, and since you are familiar with co-working spaces, I think it's something that people would really benefit from knowing about. How can people get a hold of you, and, and what's your typical, um, typical way in which you would like people to engage with you? Would you like them to email you and then check out your website, or you know, what, what, are, you, what are you hoping to do with this? Can, can we point them at my website? Can we do that? <laughs> How can people get a hold of you? Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's startupalacarte.com. Just okay, so no startupalacarte.com. No punctuation, no caps, no nothing. Just www.dust. And I am Ian at startupalacarte.com. Okay, wonderful. Take a look at it. It doesn't yet apply to co-working spaces, but it does give you an idea of how I'm prepared to work. I give fixed fees, payable in advance for different kinds of services that early stage startups need. Right. And so you're developing this, I must say, it is a co-working story, a co-working effect story. You've worked with oh. a few other members in the space there. Eric. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> yes, we love Eric. Um, That's right. To develop this type of productized service, which is very different than the typical attorneys have done. Um, and you're really working to, um, to do something that's similar to what LegalZoom offers, right? Where you're really purchasing- But better quality, better, better quality. quality. Yeah, yeah. There you go. 
and this then is the real thing. And, and you get a lawyer's advice included, you know, and you get a lawyer's it's advice. Me, but, you know. Right. Right. And I'll just let anybody know if you decide to engage with Ian, he loves chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easy to bribe. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, Ian, what's next for you? Well, I, I you know, I've been offered a, a job. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> <laughs> I've avoided a job for 11 years, so I'm thinking about it. Are you? Yes, yes. So thinking about going corporate again, or is it a small, a small job? No, it's a very big corporate job. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I do have two adorable sons in college, you know, and two others in Europe whom I have to go visit on a regular basis. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I will okay. continue well, with my startup stuff because I love to work for the startups. I really do. It's 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 my uh, my private little passion. I like it. Wonderful. Well, Ian, thank you so much for your time today. It was lovely having you. Well, thank you, Aris. It was a pleasure. It was a real pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a glass. We of, will uh, next time you stop by. Something. That's right. There, there's a happy <laughs> hour today. <laughs> oh yes, happy hour. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Ian. Take care. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Coworking with Iris. Um, you can check out other episodes by going to coworkingwithiris.co, where you can also subscribe to the podcast. And next week, I'm talking with Jacob Martinez of the Digital Nest in Watsonville, California. And I am very excited because of the work that Jacob has been doing with Digital Nest and um, the, the, uh, the effect it has on the local community. It is a co-working space that's specifically for youth ages 12 to 24. And it's free. And they currently have around 800 members. So really looking forward to that conversation. Um, I'm referring it to it as mission-based co-working. So check us out next week. Keep doing the great work that you're doing every day.